morning, everyone. I don't think I've gotten to preach since Easter, so I'm glad to be let out of the bullpen. Um, I wanted to start off saying this morning that normally uh, the stories that I tell you in a sermon are all true, pretty much just as they're told. Uh, I do sometimes change the names to protect the guilty. But uh, in this one, I've taken events that happened to a lot of different people through the years, and I've kind of compressed them down into about five imaginary people. So, so the events you hear described today did, did happen, but not necessarily to just, to just five people. They're, they're sort of composite characters that represent the lives of a lot of different folk. So I wanted to, to share that up front so we didn't spread confusion. As we talked about Ryan, who grew up in a small town. It was one of those small towns where everybody knows everybody's business. Now, Ryan's, um, he, by his estimation, has turned out all right. His parents did a, did a fine job. Um, you know, back then, people didn't read parenting magazines and parenting books and all that sort of stuff. It was just on-the-job training, and you, you did the best you could. And as far as Ryan's concerned, his folks did all right by him. He certainly couldn't blame them for how anything turned out after that. Ryan is not a you know, super good-looking guy or whatever, but he considers himself above average. Of course, I think all guys consider ourselves above average. So, uh, but he's had a string of relationships. Most didn't end really well. Uh, he got close to being married once. Truth is, there is, from time to time, some abuse in some of those relationships, particularly if someone was drinking and there was some fooling around from time to time. Uh, there was even an abortion once. He drove her to the clinic. He paid for it. He tried to just make the best out of what you'd try to make the best out of a situation like that. Uh, tough spot to be in. And Well, the truth is, if Ryan thinks about it very much, he kind of feels dirty as he reflects on his life. And he knows dirt. He's an auto mechanic, you know. And you get in there in the grease and the grime day after day after day. And uh, that stuff gets in under your fingernails. It's in the nail beds. It's in the cracks in your knuckles. And you can wash all you want after a certain number of years of doing that kind of work. It's not coming out. The dirt is part of you. And uh, that's how his soul feels sometimes if he thinks about it. Especially when he was around his friends. You know, Brian, Brian pretty much says, I turned out okay. But uh, a lot of his friends have not. You know, their life's been a downward spiral. It's a small town. There's a lot more drugs in a small town than you would ever think until you've lived in one. And um, Ryan introduced a lot of his friends to that scene. Gosh, when they were younger, though. But, but he's watched a lot of their downward turns. I mean, he was out at the dam, you know, when they were all partying and some things happened that shouldn't have and, he was in so-and-so's backyard when they were having that party and some things were said and done that you can't take back. And now when he looks at his friends, especially the really washed out ones, he wonders, did I have some role in their life? The best he can do is not think about it. Or when he does, he just says, you know, I wasn't that bad. I can certainly think worse. I wasn't that bad. It just doesn't make him feel any better. He had a friend at the garage who started going to church. He asked Brian, Ryan, I don't know why I keep calling him Brian. He's a made-up person anyway. Um, <laughs> can't even get a made-up person's name right. Well, anyways, uh, the guy Ryan works with at the garage, he asked him, 
from wanting to go to church with him. Ryan found himself saying, okay. What a weird experience that's been. Sometimes the things he hears in that sanctuary make him feel set free, like he has no weight, no chains, no past to holding him back. And then another Sunday, it'll be totally different. Another Sunday, the things he hears there will make him feel the dirt of his soul in a magnified way, like you can look at the hands and see every grease spot and every crack and crevice, and he can't get away from it like never before. Other times, what he hears in that sanctuary makes him feel healed, like he's breathing real air for the first time, like he's able to move around. Other times, it's like an old scar that he forgot about that was healed up, gets ripped open, and he walks out of that sanctuary with a fresh, bleeding wound. And the weirdest part of it all is, he's not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, surely it's a bad thing, right? It was healed up, he'd kind of forgotten about it, and now something that comes up in the course of that worship service rips that wound open, and all the baggage comes flooding back. But then on the other hand, in those moments, sometimes in those moments, he feels the most alive. Somehow it's like a sign like you still have a conscience, you still have a heart, you're still able to reflect on your life, you're still able to critically evaluate things. You're bleeding because you're still alive. Boy, is it confusing. Last Sunday, the pastor started talking about baptism. The celebration, the sign and seal of what Christ has done for us. And Ryan really sits up in his seat when the pastor refers to it as a washing. Being washed from sin. Oh, could he use a washing? The pastor reads to him from Acts 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. When you go down in that water, he says, you are cleaned. It's a divine cleaning. It's a cleaning rooted in the power of Christ. It's such a powerful washing. It doesn't just wash the deepest ground-in dirt of your soul that you've already done. It covers whatever else you might do. It's that powerful. It's that rooted in eternity. Before Ryan knows it, the next Sunday he's behind the church at the lake that's on the property there. And he's out standing in the water and the minister's asking him, do you believe that the power of Jesus Christ and his resurrection can take away your sins? And he realizes that he does. And the pastor asks him, do you look forward to eternal life? And he realizes that he does. And he's taken down into the baptismal waters. And when he comes up for the first time in his life, he feels clean. Washed by the waters of baptism. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the robe and crown, good Lord, show me the way.
Stacy has three kids. She's married and she works part-time. Now, in the summer, it's a whole new challenge because now you got the kids there where you used to do your housework day. So uh, she puts on, when it's time to do the dishes and she's got to get something done, she puts on the Disney DVD. Oh, what a miracle. And she puts on the Disney DVD and she stands at the bar and she's washing the dishes. And you know how this goes, though. The kids' attention span is very short. And so they watch the Disney DVD for like 10 minutes and then they run off and find something else to do. And you're left there watching it. And so there she stands at the sink washing dishes and she's watching this, this video about this little mermaid who makes this contract with a witch to get human legs so she can go up on land and find love and all her dreams. And she signs this contract and then she's in the grasp of the witch and it's a bad contract after that. And Stacy can't tell you why but she's standing at the sink watching this kid's cartoon and she's crying because she knows what it's like to make a bad contract. Her first marriage was her first bad contract. There were signs early on it was going to be that. He pushed her once. He was really controlling. At the time, she called it jealous, but... It was controlling. Her friends didn't like him at all. Her mom didn't think much of him either. But there were signs that things were changing, things were getting better. His mom would always say to Stacy, oh, he's so much better with you. He's a different, he's a different guy with you. and His life's really changing. He's really pulling ahead. He's got a job. and She'd see him start to do something or say something, and he'd catch himself, and she thought... He's changing. He's changing. We're good together. And so they got married, and she thought, I can change him. And she was wrong about that. Her second marriage, she was way more careful about that. But, well, see, her second husband grew up poor, and Stacy grew up poor. And somewhere in the course of all their discussions, they started having this conversation a lot. Our kids are not going to want for things the way we did. We're going to make stuff happen for our kids. Our kids aren't going to go to school and envy every other kid in the school like we did. We're just not going to say no all the time. And that's what they agreed on, and that's how they started out their family. And when the kids got old enough to actually go to Disney World, and the money was not there for it, they just took out a home equity loan. And they said yes. And when the cars started to wear out and they needed room for a third car seat, they just leased them, signed a contract to lease their cars. When it came time to build their dream home, get out some, some properties, some place where the kids can run and do stuff, they went to the bank and they signed a contract for a balloon loan. Ryan had some contracts coming in at work. Things were going to change. They were going to be able to pay this thing off before that arm came swinging in on them. And, uh, but, you know, contracts don't always turn out like they're supposed to. And then the bank's contract kicked in. And now they are in the clutches of a new god named Debt. And the god Debt tells them everything they're going to do and what they can and can't do. And Stacy doesn't even like that part-time job, but the god Debt tells her she cannot quit because the bills are coming faster than the paychecks. 
maybe it was out of desperation, but uh, Stacy started going to this little country church that's down the road from their property, which they could lose any day, by the way, along with both cars. She just needed a place to pray. And she walks in, and here's this little country church, and there's like 13 old people on, on a huge Sunday. That's like Easter. <laughs> and they're so cute, but so doggone old, they can't remember the songs they just sang last week. So they only sing like eight different hymns in this church on a two-week rotation because they can't remember they just did all these same ones two weeks ago. And uh, so you can learn all the songs there real fast. And... Uh, there's this one they sing, though, and they come around to it. And she can never get all the way through. The old people stand up and they sing, uh, Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we'll be in the valley of love and delight. She runs out of voice about right there. And she listens to them finish. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend we shan't be ashamed. And to turn, turn will be our delight till by turning, turning we come round right. Last week the minister was talking about baptism. He talked about baptism as being set aside for a new purpose. He told this story about how they had this tent. They used to meet God in the desert in this tent. And they had uh, tools that they used, like a shovel for the ashes and a fireplace poker for the fire and bowl for the water, he said. But before they would use these tools, they would wash them in this water, he said, and that would set them aside for a holy purpose. It would sanctify the tools. It would say, this isn't just a shovel, this is God's shovel. And that's not a fireplace poker, that's God's fireplace poker. Not just a bowl, God's bowl. He says, it's the same when you go into the waters of baptism. You're no longer just a woman, you're God's woman. You're no longer just a man, you're God's man. He reads to them from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. And he says, do you want to enter into this new covenant with God? Do you know what a covenant is, he says? It's a contract that God will never break. She knows what a contract is. And the next Sunday, she's out in the stream behind the country church. This church is so old-fashioned, they still wear white gowns to get baptized in. And she's got her white gown on, and she goes down to that water. She knows she's making a good contract with a loving God, and there's no fine print. And she goes down into that water, and she comes up to a newness of life. And a month later, her husband comes too. And you should see Stacy now. Their house did get smaller, but their hearts got bigger. The cars they drive got more simple, but the acts of love they take part in more extravagant. Baptized into a newness of life in, in the waters of baptism.
She doesn't have any dirt under her fingernails yet. She hasn't made any bad contracts. She doesn't even know the story of Jesus yet. She is a little miracle. A blank slate on which will be written everything. And this week, Emily's parents are bringing her forward to be baptized. To have the sign and seal of what Christ has done for her traced out on her forehead and water in the shape of the cross from where all this power comes, this promise for her. And the pastor reads the congregation from the first sermon of the church in Acts chapter 2. Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. He says, bring forward your children and have the celebration of his promise placed upon them in baptism. And Emily's grandparents are livid. They are beside themselves. They cannot believe her parents would baptize a baby after the way they were brought up. You see, Emily's grandparents grew up in the Anabaptist church tradition. It's a different church tradition. They don't baptize babies. You should wait uh, in, in their tradition until the child is old enough to understand what's going on. Until they can make a decision for Christ themselves. Until they can be aware of the celebration and have it have meaning for them. Ironically, Emily's grandparents on the other side feel the same way. And that they should wait. But they're not Christian. Emily's grandparents on the other side of the family are atheists. In fact, they're kind of like throwback hippies. Even at their age, they still go to Grateful Dead concerts on a motorcycle, all right? And uh, they think Emily should not be baptized because in their mind, that's the first step in brainwashing. And a child should not be indoctrinated into God and church and all that madness. They say, why don't you wait until she's older, until she can decide for herself, until she can evaluate all these claims and decide if she even believes in God, much less what you call God. Why don't you wait? That's what both the grandparents are saying. Why don't you wait? Emily's parents just see it really differently. They know that parents decide all sorts of things for their children. Why should the assumption be that a child has nothing and then they have to figure it all out? They, they know that's not true. Parents decide for their children what their view of food and health will be. 
Will food be looked at as entertainment, something you try to get just as much of your favorite kind as you can every day? Or is it something to do with health and stewarding your body and something to take care of and be mindful about? Parents will decide for their children how that's handled from the time they're infants on it. Parents will decide for their children how they'll look at money and work. Is money something you scrap at for all costs? It makes the world go around? Or is money a tool and you should use it wisely but make sure you're the master? And what about work? Is it something you skate by on the minimum? Try to avoid it if you can? Or is it something that should be hard work and you ought to take pride in hard work and you ought to do it diligently? Parents will decide for their kids how they're going to be brought up to look at work and money in the home. Honesty and morality, another decision parents decide for their kids. Is honesty and morality something where you can kind of try to game the system? Or is it something that matters even when nobody's looking? They'll decide for Emily how she'll be brought up to look at honesty and morality. And the value of education is something parents decide for their children. Is it something you say, oh, I don't know, I didn't like it either, just get by minimum I don't care if the teacher gives you trouble I'll call her and tell her what for or is it something that they engage in and take part in and support and work hard at parents will decide for their kids how education will be valued but now it comes to spirituality and all of a sudden they're not supposed to do anything for her they're supposed to let her grow up in a vacuum the assumption is she doesn't love God and doesn't believe and if she wants to later then she can figure that out herself Emily's parents just don't think that way They believe parents build a foundation for their kids in every area of life, including a spiritual foundation. Children may take it or not. They believe it's their role to take the very best they have in every area of life and offer it to her. They cling to Psalm 78. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power and His mighty wonders. For He issued His laws to Jacob, He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like our ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. No, Emily's folks plan to break that cycle now. And as the priest takes Emily, even he says she will someday have to confirm this faith as her own. But for now, Emily's parents are laying a spiritual foundation and they're taking the very best they have in life, faith in Christ Jesus, and they're celebrating in her. So let us all celebrate the promise of Christ on this child, baptizing her in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so Emily's spiritual life begins in the waters of baptism. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown, good Lord, show me. Let's go down, come on down, come on fathers, let's go down, down in the river to pray.
Dave and Sandy are good people. They grew up in the church, and they liked it just fine. Dave and Sandy call themselves Christians. The trick with Dave and Sandy is they're the only people on the street who call themselves Christians, yet if I sent you to their street and you spent a week there, I bet I don't think you could pick out who Dave and Sandy were. Because they live just like everybody else on their street. They walk and talk just like everybody else on their street. They buy and consume just like everybody else on their street. They don't do anything different than anyone else on their street. They're, they're no different. And that may be because Dave and Sandy are nominal Christians, Christians in name only. Their faith in Jesus, might they may wear that like some people wear a sports jersey. The, the problem you have when you encounter someone in a sports jersey is you're never really sure, are they on the team or are they just a fan of the team? Or do they just like the way the color looks on them? Dave and Sandy's Christian faith is a lot like that. Are they on the team? Or are they just a fan of that team? Or do they just like the way the color looks on them? Dave was actually wearing a Christian t-shirt to work when Brad in the next cubicle said, oh, what church do you go to? And Dave said, oh, I haven't gone to a church for years. There's a guy on TV I like to watch every once in a while. And Brad says, well, we really like our church. You should come sometime. And since Dave has no problem with church, he does. And man, do things change after that. Because they hear in that sanctuary Things they have never heard before about faith in Jesus and how it changes the way you see everything. It changes the way you walk and talk and the things you do and the way you live and the decisions you make. And every sermon, Dave and Sandy, seems like they have something to talk about on the drive home. About what do you think about that? And I wonder if we do that and if we should change and do something different. And they start to change some things. And as they do, they begin to feel the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. Other Sundays... They'll talk about how Christians ought to take part in things that change their neighborhood, change their community, even change the world in the name of Jesus, reflecting the kingdom of the coming Christ. Now that's big stuff. But you know what? Dave and Sandy start doing some of that big stuff. And they start to see the power of God working through the church to bring in the kingdom. And they want to celebrate this. There is more to this than they ever knew. They feel like they've been carrying a hidden treasure around their whole life called faith in Christ Jesus. And they're just now figuring out that it's priceless. They feel like those people that go to the antique road show and they sit down at the table and they put this thing up like, oh, this is something given to us by our parents. It's called faith in Jesus. I don't really know that much about it. And the person looks at it and says, that is the most valuable thing in the universe. No price can be put on that. That's what Dave and Sandy feel like. And they feel like, you know, lots of people always say, well, we've got to do something with that. We've got to take better care of that. We've got to steward that. We've got to pay attention to that. We've got to do what you're supposed to do with that. And this has all been happening in their life. And they want to celebrate this change, which is, this is the confusing part because they, they talk about baptism at the church. Well, Dave's already been baptized. Um, he was baptized in high school, went to youth camp, or he went out in the lake, everybody cheered, it was a great moment. He'll tell you after high school, he wandered quite a bit. Sandy, she was baptized as an infant in the front of the church. So they talk to the minister, they say, 
the gospel of Christ Jesus and his kingdom have come alive to us. Our lives are different. It has made a real difference. We want to celebrate and mark this. What should we do? And the minister says, well, you might want to be confirmed, but I think what you really want is to be rededicated. And I say, what's being rededicated? He said, we celebrate it at the same time we celebrate the baptisms. He says, I take a a branch and I sweep it through the waters of baptism and I come up and I flick it at you. And when I, when I flick it at you, I, the water hits you, and I say, remember your baptism. Because, David, when you went out in that lake at the youth camp and everyone was cheering, they were cheering that Christ would redeem your life and that you would follow him all of your days. And look, here you are. Look, here you are. What everyone was celebrating, your baptism has come true. Remember your baptism. And, and, and Sandy, when you were baptized as an infant, everyone in that congregation took a vow that they would support And pray for you that you would someday give your life to Christ Jesus. And look, Sandy, here you are, telling us what a difference it has made and sharing that faith with others. Remember your baptism. What God has promised has come true. Are you game? And they say, sure. And so there they are out there on that shore the next week. And the minister asks him a few questions. They make a few vows. They tell a little bit of their story. And he goes and he sweeps the branch through the water. And and, uh, they look out at the crowd. All the church has come to celebrate this moment. And they pick a face out. Brad, from work, the next cubicle over. And it hits Dave suddenly. What would happen if Brad had never invited me? If he'd never said, we really like our church, you should come sometime. And he stops the ministry. He says, I don't know if this is okay, but can Brad come stand with us while you do this? Because he's a big part of what's happened here. And the pastor says, absolutely. And he does one better. As Brad comes up, he hands Brad the branch. And Brad waves it and says, remember your baptism. And then the pastor takes the branch, and in a moment no one expected, he flicks it at Brad, he flicks it at everybody in the church, and he says to all of them, all of you, remember your baptism. And he reads to them Galatians chapter 3, And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Dave and Sandy realize they're on the team. They have put on Christ. And they are not just united to Christ, they are united to Brad and to the whole church. All brothers and sisters brought together, celebrating the waters of baptism. As I went down in the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall the starry crown good lord show me the way oh sisters let's go down let's go down come on down oh sisters let's go down down in the river to pray as i went down in the river to pray studying about that good old way Let's 
Take out your calendars or your phones where you keep time because I want to invite you all to the baptism celebration that we're going to have on June 30th. June 30th, 7 o'clock, Longview Swimming Beach. You've been seeing footage from it here. Uh, it is a swimming beach, so yes, the kids can bring their swimsuits and their shovels and beach volleyball and all that. But uh, as you saw, that we will stop when the sun gets low in the sky and we'll have our prayers and we'll have a very holy service of celebration. You'll see people baptized and rededicated, hear a bit of their story. We'll pray together. So everyone plan to come. We, we treat this as a, really a church holiday in our calendar. And there's cookies and lemonade, and we do, it up, we do it up big. So everyone is invited to that. And some of you are ready to be baptized and rededicated yourselves. The Holy Spirit has come into your life and, and changed it in a radical way. And if you've never been baptized before, you should be baptized. And if you were and then somehow found yourself out wandering and you've come home to Christ again, you should be rededicated. And we want to help you get ready for that. So after this service, back there in the prayer circle, we'll have a short meeting to get you ready for baptism and rededication. And it's going to be a really short meeting now because I just preached on it. You just heard what I usually say in the meeting. So it shouldn't be too long. So we'll give uh, about 15 minutes after this service ends because I need to meet some new folks. If I've not gotten to meet you before, I'd love to do that, and I'll be out there, and there's some great muffins today, some orange juice and such. Also, you need to check out your kids out of the, out of the kids' area. And also, the prayer team is back in the prayer circle. So for 15 minutes after this service, if what you really need this morning is someone to, to pray with or pray for you, they'll be back there. And then at 11.45, let's meet back there and let's get ready for your baptism or your rededication. And we'll be prepared for the celebration on June 30th. I'll read to you again from Acts chapter 22, verse 16. What are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized. Have your sins washed away by calling on the name of the Lord. Let's stand together and we'll recite the Apostles' Creed. These are the truths we hold most dear. If this is not something you believe... Um, you don't have to recite it with us, certainly, but uh, le let us in this moment share with you what is most dear to us. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, 
who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, one holy church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Those words are going to shape our series for the rest of June as we look at the essentials of our faith and the truths that we all cling to. So let us close together in prayer through song. As I went down to the river to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Sinners. Oh, sinners, let's go down, let's go down, don't you want to go down? Oh, sinners, let's go down, down to the river to pray. And now may you go forth in his promise to newness of life, set aside for his purpose. Remember your baptism. Amen.